This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. So uh, my name is Luke Wright, uh, and along with Becky Fincham, I uh, co-programme uh, the Babylon Strand uh, Edinburgh Book Festival, which is uh, well, what happened four years ago. They, they came to us and said, look, you know, we, you know, we heard a lot about this spoken word. We want more of that in our programme. Uh, can you help us um, bring some spoken word artists? It's an unfortunate phrase, spoken word artists. Spoken word artists, performance poets, stand-up poet, poets who perform, whatever you like. People who do things with words and performance. And said, so we want more of that at the book festival. And so we, we uh, happily obliged and uh, over the last four years have brought an array of uh, performing poets and spoken word artists to the festival. And our theme this year, we always give ourselves a bit of a theme, is poetry um, uh, as a social tool. Poetry out there in society, poetry getting itself out of the garret and into the world, whether it be on festival stages uh, or, or in adverts uh, or, um, or at Political rallies, poetry when it sort of you know leaves matters of the intimate and private and, and goes out there and tries to change the world or at least entertain the world. And so I knew moment we had this theme that we wanted to have Harry Baker on uh, because he just he take his words go places that other words do not. Uh, he's got m literally millions of views on YouTube. I wish I knew how to do that. It's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, he's he's a world slam champion. And, uh, and, and he just takes poetry places where often it does not go. And it entertains, uh, he's clever. He's also really self-effacing and quite a lovely guy as well, which, is, which makes me hate him even more. So um, it gives me great pleasure. He's going to be reading from his book, The Sunshine Kid, or performing from his book. And afterwards, uh, he'll be signing copies of that in the book tent, the, one ne uh, the bookshop next door to us, okay? So the one, the one with the Edinburgh Gin Bar, which is appropriate, I think. Because, yes, yeah, so we'll have a gin, buy a book, have a chat to Harry. We're going to go straight through. We're not going to stop for questions so if you do want to talk to Harry then come and have a, have a gin and, and or, or not have a gin and not even buy a book but just chat to him okay I think I've said everything I have to say uh, turn your phones off as well Can you, has everyone done that I'm sure you've done that good I'm not a professional chair uh, I just like the stage right enough of that ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together make a lot of noise for Harry Baker <laughs> Hello. Uh, yes, my name's Harry. Uh, I am a professional poet, uh, graduated a couple of years ago, uh, and I studied maths at uni. Um, I'm mostly going to be doing poems from my book, The Sunshine Kids, uh, and kind of telling a few stories in between about how I got into poetry. Uh, a common thing I get asked is whether I think there's a link between maths and poetry. And, and definitely, when I started out, I would be quite determined that there wasn't. I quite liked maths because there were definite right answers and I liked poetry because I felt like there were no definite wrong answers. Um, but after doing it for a while, uh, I've started to do poetry workshops in schools uh, and I would go in and basically try and encourage them to, to express themselves in a way that I think is helpful. And uh, I recently went to a poetry workshop in a school and I started off by saying there's no definite wrong answers. And it was a group of year 11 boys who had kind of I'd gone in as a positive role model. And by the end of that session where I said there's no definite wrong answers, one of them had been sent to the head teacher because the other students didn't feel safe. Uh, so I am available for school bookings. Um, but also I realized there's, there's definitely more of a link than I gave it credit. I think for me, maths and poetry are both about searching for some kind of truth. Uh, and I also realized that whilst claiming that the two were separate, one of the first poems I ever wrote is a love poem about prime numbers. 
so I kind of should have known. Uh, and this came about, I, I used to, I was in a band at school, I used to love writing lyrics, uh, and had the genius idea to change Jay-Z's 99 Problems to a rap about maths, uh, entitled 99 Problems But Maths Ain't One, uh, which had a 80-digit Pi solo in it. And I went along to a poetry open mic night, and I thought if I perform my maths rap without any music, I could call it a poem. And there was somebody there who saw my performance, uh, thought it stood out from everybody else's, came up to me at the end and said, Harry, you seem like a nerd. I'm running a poetry night where the theme is prime numbers. We're going to get 25 poets to write poems about the first 25 prime numbers. If you'd like to get involved, you can pick your favorite prime number between two and 97. <laughs> Perform a poem about it alongside 24 other poems about prime numbers. Does that sound like a fun night out for an 18-year-old in London? <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. <laughs> I would love to be involved. Uh, so in a way, this is one of the first, I guess, proper poems I wrote. It is indeed a love poem about prime numbers. And it's called 59, and it goes like this. 59 wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Realizes all his hair is on one side of his head, takes just under a minute. To work out that it's because of the way that he slept, he finds some clothes and gets dressed. Now he can't help but look in the mirror and be subtly impressed how he looks rough around the edges and yet casually messed. And as he glances out the window, he sees the side that he is blessed with of 60 from across the street. Now 60 was beautiful. Perfectly trimmed cuticles, just in something suitable and never rude or crude at all. Unimprovable. Right on time as usual, more on cue than a snooker ball, but liked to play it super cool. And 59 wanted to tell her that he knew her favorite flower. He thought of her every second, every minute, every hour, but he knew it would not work. He would never get the girl because low she lived across the street. They came from different walls of 59 and my 60s perfectly round figure. 60 thought 59 was odd. You see, one of his favorite films was 101 Dalmatians. She preferred the sequel. He romanticized the idea they were star-crossed lovers. They could overcome the odds and evens because they had each other while she maintained the strip and was done her by her mother that separate could not be equal. And though at the time he felt stupid and dumb for trying to love a girl controlled by her stupid mum, he should have been comforted by that simple something 59 away from 60. And you're left with the one. And sure enough, after two months of moping around, 61 days later, 61 was who he found. He had lost his keys and his parents were out, so one day after school he ran into a house and as he noticed the slightly wonky numbers on the door, he wondered why he'd never introduced himself before. She let him in, his jaw dropped in awe. 61 was like 60, with a little bit more. <laughs> See, she had prettier eyes and an approachable smile. And like him, rough around the edges, casual style. And like him, everything was disorganized past. Like him, I'm a bit when a friend stayed a while because she was like him. And he liked her. He reckoned she would like him and she knew he was like her. And it was different this time, I mean. This girl was wicked, so he plucked up the courage and asked for her digits. She said, I'm 61. He grinned, said, I'm 59. And Today, I've had a really nice time, so tomorrow, if you wanted, you could come with her to mine. She said, sure. She loved talking to someone just as quirky. 
So she agreed to this unofficial first date. In the end, it was only ready one minute early, but that didn't matter because she arrived one minute late. And from that moment on, there was nonstop chatter. How they loved X Factor. How they had two factors. <laughs> how that did not matter. Distinctiveness made them better. And by the end of the night, they knew that they were meant together. And one day, she was talking about stuck up 60. She noticed that 59 looked a bit shifty. He blushed and told her of his crush, the best thing that never happened because it led to us. And 61 was clever, see, not prone to jealousy. She looked him in the eyes and she told him quite tenderly, you're 59, I'm 61, together we combine to become twice what 60 could ever be. Maths. <laughs> and at this point, 59 had tears in his eyes. He was so glad to have this one-of-a-kind girl in his life. He told her the very definition of being proud was the one himself. Could his heart divide? And she was the one he wanted to give his heart to. She said she felt the same, and now she knew the films were half true because that was not real love. That love was just a sample. When it came to real love, they were a prime example. Thank you very much. Um, so it turned out that this prime number themed poetry night was actually a prime number themed poetry competition. Uh, and so I became a prime number themed poetry competition winner, or as I like to call it, prime minister. Um, but I did sort of discover this whole spoken word performance poetry scene and a particular part of that scene were these things called poetry slams. Uh, and if you don't know what a poetry slam is, it was a format come up with in America around 30 years ago as a way of tricking people into going to poetry events by putting an exciting word like slam on the end. Uh, and all it was was that each performer was given a three minute time limit to share something they had written themselves and people in the audience would hold up scorecards and vote for their favorite. Uh, and if you won a poetry slam, you could call yourself a slam champion and pretend you're some kind of wrestler. And if you didn't win a poetry slam, you could say, Oh no, poetry's subjective, you can't judge art. Ah. <laughs> then everyone sort of gets on with their lives. But it sort of developed into this subgenre where the emphasis was on the audience, and I really loved that ability to kind of get involved, and also anyone could kind of get up. Uh, and so I started going to these poetry slams, and I became the London Slam champion. So I was invited to go to the UK Poetry Slam to represent London, and I went along, and I did my poems, uh, and I managed to get the highest score. So I became the UK Slam champion, and I was invited to go to the Poetry World Cup. Because apparently there is such thing as a Poetry World Cup. And I'd never heard of it, but all I knew was that it took place in Paris, and I wanted to go to France, so it sounded like fun. And there were 20 different poets from 20 different countries, all performing in their own native languages, ready to be judged by an audience of five random French people. Uh, and I think if poetry's hard to judge at the best of times, when it's me going up against a freestyle Estonian rapper, going up against an old Italian poet who is reading his music, reading his poetry from a music stand, and you're secretly hoping he's going to break out and sing opera at some point, going up against a Chinese poet who, in a three-minute poetry slam, just read one haiku, left the stage, everyone was crying, they didn't really know why, going up against a Russian poet who, in a three-minute poetry slam, did a seven-minute poem about how aliens are taking over the world through our mobile phones. It was incredible, but they were disqualified. Very hard to judge, uh, but I managed to get through to the final, and in the final, I managed to get the highest score. So what I'm trying to say is that this next poem is technically the best poem in the world. <laughs> According to five random French people. But they are five of my favorite random French people. 
Um, and it's called Paper People, and it goes like this. I like people. I'd like some paper people. They'd be purple paper people. Maybe pop-up purple paper people. Proper pop-up purple paper people. How do you prop up proper pop-up purple paper people? I hear you cry. Well, I... I'd probably prop up proper pop-up purple paper people with the proper pop-up purple people paper clip. But I pre-prepare appropriate adhesives as alternatives, a cheeky backup brute just in case the paper slipped, because I could build a pop-up metropolis. But I wouldn't want to deal with all those paper people politics, paper politicians with their paper-thin policies, broken promises without appropriate apologies. There'd be a little paper me and a little paper you. And we could watch paper TV and it would all be pay-per-view. We'd see those poppy paper wrappers wrap about the paper package or watch paper people carriers get stuck in paper traffic on the A4 paper. It didn't really get that in France, but that's fine. <laughs> There'd be a paper princess, Kate. But we'd all stare at paper pepper. And we'd all live in fear of killer Jack the paper ripper because the paper propaganda propagates the people's prejudices. Papers printing pictures of the photogenic terrorists. A little paper me and a little paper you. And in a pop-up population, people's problems pop up too. There'd be that pompous paper parliament who remained out of touch and who ignored the people's protests about all those paper cuts and then... Those peaceful paper protests would get blown to paper pieces by those confetti cannons manned by preemptive police. And yes, there'd still be paper money. So there'd still be paper greed and those paper piggy bankers pocketing more than they need, purchasing the potpourri to pepper their paper properties. Others live in poverty and aren't acknowledged properly. A proper poor economy where so many are proper poor, but... While their needs get ignored, the money goes to big wars. Origami armies unfold plans for paper planes and we remain imprisoned by our own paper chains. But the greater shame is that it always seems to stay the same. What changes is who's in power, choosing how to lay the blame, then naming names, forgetting these are names of people. Because in the end, it all comes down to people. I like people. Because even when the situation's dire, it is only ever people who were able to inspire on on paper. It's hard to see how we all cope. But in the bottom of Pandora's box, there's still hope, and I still hope because I believe in people. People like my grandparents, who every single day since I was born had taken time out of their morning to pray for me. That is 8,396 days straight of someone checking I'm okay, and that's amazing. People like my aunt, who puts on plays with prisoners. People who were capable of genuine forgiveness. People like the persecuted Palestinians. People go out of their way to make your life better and expect nothing in return. You see, people have potential to be powerful. Just because the people in power tend to pretend to be victims, you need to succumb to that system. And a paper population is no different. So there's a little paper me and a little paper you. And we could watch paper TV and it would all be pay-per-view and in a pop-up population, people's problems pop up too. Even if the whole world fell apart, then we'd still make it through. Because we're people. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Um, so one of the best things about going to the Poetry World Cup was that I got to meet poets from all over the world. And since then, uh, I've had an excuse to kind of stay with them or when I've traveled around performing, I've known people, been able to get involved in the local scene. And what I love to do when I'm traveling is kind of see what the other poets are performing, see what they're talking about, see which things different cultures have that are different and also what they have in common. Uh, and a common theme in poetry, as I'm sure you're aware, is love. So I wanted to try and write a love poem, uh, but I wanted it to be cool, so I put dinosaurs in it. Uh, and, and this is my favorite one to perform in different countries, because I think no matter where you're from, no matter what your upbringing, what your beliefs are, we can all agree that dinosaurs are really, really cool. Uh, so this is called Dinosaur Love, and it goes like this. I want to say I love you, but it seems it's not enough. Because when people say I love you, it can mean a lot of stuff like I'll always have your back or I'm glad I'm not alone. Or to be honest, I'd say anything so you'll hang up the phone because I'm kind of in the middle of something right now. And these Doctor Who box sets ain't gonna watch themselves. I want to say I love you, but it seems it's not enough because when people say I love you, it can mean a lot of stuff. And all I'm really trying to say is... <laughs> I want to love you like a T-Rex with a tiny brain but a massive heart, and if I was a T-Rex, I could hold you in those T-Rex arms and put you from harm, because that's dinosaur love. It's the way that you send spines down my spine like a stegosaurus, or how just like dinosaurs, no one cares what came before us, because I got that love so big, it cannot be ignored. Like, if you were the dinosaur, everything else in secondary. Dinosaurs are not mythical creatures, they are legendary, plus, they're just really cool. I mean, the thing with dinosaurs is dinosaurs are kind of awesome. One of that they actually existed, just my love is real. I ain't talking, blindly walking, strings attached like Theseus. That's minotaur love. <laughs> when this is dinosaur love, this ain't no damsel in distress, trap princess, dragon slaying quest, because one, dragons never happen. Two, most women don't need rescuing. Sort of feminist dinosaurs. <laughs> This is less prancing unicorns, more two-ton triceratops, or terrifying pterodactyls tearing terror from above its dinosaur love. Molten rock and meteoric, trust me, I've got a love so old school, it's prehistoric. So if you're into Spielberg or hip-hop with a classic vibe, then we could watch Jurassic Park or listen to Jurassic 5, and if you like a bone... Then I know a place so we could see them. I'm a lifetime member of the Natural History Museum. <laughs> I want to say I love you, but that might be awkward. So instead, I'm happy to that that state in my head where it cannot go wrong. And if, as time goes on, my dino love dies out as you'd expect when it's extinct, I'd rather that we remain friends than became exes. But if, somehow, against the odds, my dino love proves so colossal that it stands the test of time perfectly preserved like a fossil. Then one day, when you've been left in ruins and need someone to help excavate through them, it won't take an archaeological expert to point you towards me. And at that point, I will point out, you're like a Brachiosaurus. Because there's no one above you. Then I'll be able to look you in the eyes and say, Brr! 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I've always loved playing around with language. That was how I kind of got into writing poetry, was just trying to come up with these silly little rhymes. Uh, and when I, when I started, I used to do a paper round before school. And that was one of my favorite times to write because I would be up and awake, and there was no one about, and I could just kind of talk to myself in the street. And I was once out on my paper round, and I had the genius revelation that the word bumble rhymed with lots of things. Uh, and so I started making a poem in my head about this bumbly, mumbly, jumbly, rumbly, stumbly, crumbly bee. And I was so excited about this that I did what anyone my age would have done when they were that excited. I went home and I made a Facebook status about it where I said, I'm getting a buzz writing about bees because I am hilarious. Uh, and I have a friend who is equally hilarious who commented on it saying, oh honey, that's so sweet. And so what happened next, I can only really describe as a sort of weird bee-themed pun-off, where I said, I apologize for this next one. Then he said, hive five. <laughs> and then they gradually just got worse and worse very quickly. And it meant separately, we both ended up on the Wikipedia page for bumblebees, looking up obscure terminology to turn it into a dodgy pun. Uh, and whilst I was on the Wikipedia page for bumblebees, which I can recommend to anyone, uh, I came across this story that scientists once proved, or thought they could prove, that bumblebees shouldn't be able to fly. By the methods they understood at the time, they said that their wingspan was too small and their body mass was too big. So essentially they said, according to science, it's impossible, you can't do it, you're too fat. But obviously bees can fly. So when I read this story, I loved this idea of this underdog, of doing your own thing, sticking it to the man, forget the haters, believe in yourself, especially if you're a fat bee. And so this little bumbly mumbly rhyme sort of kind of turned into something else. Um, and I really love this poem because I think whilst I was trying to work out where the maths fitted into things, if I could do the poetry full time, at, at points it did feel a bit impossible. And I thought if that little bee can fly, maybe I can give it a go. Uh, so this is called The Scientist and the Bumblebee. And it goes like this. You see, the scientist said the bumblebee couldn't fly. She lacked the wing beats per minute or the necessary size. But the bumblebee in her ignorance proved him wrong. She knew that she could fly because she'd flown all along and now imagine if she listened to the man she might have stopped. Given up on the spot, tucked her wings in and dropped. So don't ever let someone tell you what you can't do because just because it's proven doesn't mean it's true. The bumblebee bumbled. Loving her life, she hums as she flies. The bumblebee fumbled. Clumsily stumbled from flower to flower. The bumblebee tumbled. Tore through the sky, pulling corkscrews and dives. And then the bumblebee mumbled. Crumbled in front of the queen and her power. The bumblebee grumbled something explicit. Discovered she'd been laid with a gimmick and then the bumblebee rumbled, desperate to eat that nectar so sweet. The bumblebee humbled her critics, silenced all things scientific, and then zzzz, The bumblebee jumbled her speech. She did not care because in the air she was free. Because she was a busy bee. 
Love to fly to flowers and visit trees, deliver seeds efficiently, more so than in a breeze, intricate, intimate, meticulous auxiliary, and gather more honey than any sick MCs you see. Ever since she learned to fly, she'd earned her stripes. Despite the words of hype from learned types, suppressed the urge to fight or turn and hide. Instead, she yelled for sky and birds up high. Her confidence was soaring. She saw scientists as boring, the sort of people she should be ignoring because they made no sense. At least no scent as sweet as pollen, even centimeters from her, they depended on their drawings. They would rather follow their charts than follow their hearts. If they saw a bee leave, they still believed their grass. They preferred facts and figures to bees wax and vigor, but she baked a difference. She flew past and laughed. Now meet the scientist. His aim in life was to try and dismiss any hypothesis he deemed preposterous. When asked why he didn't swallow his pride, he replied, that is obvious. It wouldn't fit down my esophagus. Not quite the optimist, more like the opposite. It's likely to be living in a bubble than popping it. He had, hey, believe everything I say, fever. Polynosis when close to the anomalous. Taking measurements, making experiments, accumulating evidence. His brain contained considerable cleverness compared to his intelligence. So busy with bees in the room, he forgot the elephant. And his foolproof was foolproof, except for the truth. If the bumblebee had read his report, she'd have agreed she was too heavy. Therefore, she'd never be airborne. But ignorance is bliss. And that begins with a bee. So this one is for the bees in the hives living lives of aviation. The ones who survive and help survive through pollination. The ones that thrive in those sticky situations with their flocky nocky knee hilly-pillification. They are doing what they're doing for the buzz. Not for love or money, moving and maneuvering above. If the weather's sunny, proving to the humans their conclusions are confusing and unusually refusing to budge. This is for those who are being themselves and who believe in themselves, who see the bee in themselves and set it free in themselves. You know that even though it's difficult, life is full of miracles and true happiness never came from being cynical, the bumblebee, forever looking for something sweet, overcoming tumbleweed by holding onto some belief in summary. This is for those that stay summary and there'll be bees to come, whatever comes to be. Because the scientist said the bumblebee couldn't fly. She lacked the wing beats per minute or the necessary size, but the bumblebee in her ignorance proved him wrong. She knew she could fly because she'd flown all along and now imagine if she'd listened to that man, she might have stopped, given up on the spot, tucked her wings in and dropped. So don't ever let someone tell you what you can't do because just because it's proven doesn't mean it's true. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, when I went to uni to study maths, I was given the option of doing maths with a year abroad. And I thought that would be a fantastic opportunity to live in another country and experience another culture. So for a year, I studied maths and lived in Germany. Uh, and whilst I was there, I decided to try and learn German because I'd heard that it was very popular over there. Uh, and I'm not very good with peer pressure. But what I loved about both being a poet and a mathematician learning German is that it's quite a playful and also quite a logical language. So you can sort of just stick words together to make new words. For example, the German word for hand is hande, the German word for shoe is schuhe, and the German word for glove is handschuhe, because a glove's a bit like a little shoe you would put on your hand. And I was so excited about this, I would tell my German housemates this is amazing, and they would say, yes, we know what gloves are. Why are you so excited about gloves? Do you not have gloves in England? Um, but there were a few kind of other exchange students who would be equally fascinated at it, looking at it 
at this other sort of angle and we used to text each other our favorite words and one of my favorite words in German I discovered is that a tortoise or a turtle is called a schildkröter which when you translate it means a sort of shield toad so it's like a little toad with a shield on it and when I found that out I was so excited that I naturally went and looked up what a snail was because I sort of hoped it would be a kind of shield worm uh, it turns out the German word for snail is schnecker which is quite fun to say but doesn't really mean much uh, but the German word for slug is nachtschnecker which translates as naked snail <laughs> which I think is fantastic and I would tell my German housemates and they would say stop bringing snails home um, <laughs> But for me, this was such an exciting kind of way of exploring the language, and I used to try and make some of my own words by sort of sticking other words together. And where I lived in Germany, uh, there was quite a large Arabic population and lots of kind of incredible food, including falafel. And the German word for falafel is falafel. <laughs> but the German word for spoon is luffel. So if you ever had a specific spoon that you only ever used to eat your falafel, then in German that would be called a falafelluffel. Uh, so I wrote this poem when I was out there, and it's called Falafelufel, and it's about a guy called Phil. <laughs> Might be able to see where this is going. Uh, there is an opportunity for some audience participation. Uh, I'd just like to check, does anyone here speak German? Phew. Uh, and also, um, I'll translate as I go along, um, but it should make sense, hopefully. This is called Falafelufel. Phil ist voll. Die Nacht ist gut verlaufen. Phil sieht ein Geschäft und er fragt, was sie verkaufen. Which means, Phil is full. The night has gone well. Phil sees a shop and he asks what they sell. Falafelöffel. Falafelfel falafel. Which means falafel spoons. For spoonfuls of falafel. Was falafelöffel? Falafel, falafel, wie falafel, falafel, falafel. Now Phil doesn't speak German, so he's left a little baffled. See, there's his fella Phil, and Phil loved falafel. Enough falafel raffle, he would snaffle all the tickets. He always answers in affirmative to offers of falafel, even if he's awfully full, he feel awful if he didn't. And for us, it might feel effortless to live a life falafel-less. <laughs> but Phil effervesces unless he gets his falafel fixed. So if Phil was ever to be offered luffel of falafel, he'd say yes despite not knowing what the effer luffel is. <laughs> For Phil, a life of love and laughter will have a falafel after. So it's yes despite not knowing what the effer luffel is. If a falafel for luffel luffel, Phil a Phil awful. So it's just as fun to knowing what the effalofel is. A fluffy falafel is often iffy if he's honest. So it's just as fun to knowing what the effalofel is. Yes, no, no, not an effalofel is. Or it's just as fun to knowing what the effalofel is. So when I say, wie viel falafel is zu viel falafel? Could you reply in unison, viel falafel is zu viel falafel? And that is me saying, how much falafel is too much falafel? And you replying, four spoonfuls of falafel is too much falafel. That was sort of the result of the research that I did. Uh, so I'll talk to you through it. If you repeat after me, fear, fear. luffel full, falafel is too viel falafel. Wunderbar. Wie viel falafel is too viel falafel? 
Pelafel, falafel, soufil, falafel, vifil, falafel, soufil, falafel. It's not bad. It's better than the year 11, boys. But it could be even better than that. Uh, I've got a couple of tips just to take it to the next level. Tip number one, if you can, try and sound a bit more German. Whatever that means to you. The way we're going to do that, I'm going to ask if you're ready. Instead of replying yes, I want you to shout back at me in your best German accents, the German word for yes, which is ja. Okay? Then we're going to ride that wave of energy to the end of the poem. Uh, the second thing you can do is what I used to do in my German language classes, which is where if I was asked a question by the person up the front and I wasn't entirely sure what the answer was to that question, I would just try and repeat the question back to them with enough conviction and authority that hopefully they would move on to somebody else. Which is a bit like me going, how much falafel is too much falafel? And you responding, how much falafel is too much falafel? Which is really sort of the core message of the piece. Uh, we'll give it a go. I don't want to get angry. But if you are going to get angry, it is quite fun to do it in German. So we'll see how we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Wie viel falafel is zu viel falafel? Lauter, wie viel Falafel ist zu viel Falafel? Schneller, wie viel Falafel ist zu viel Falafel? Falafel, viel Falafel ist zu viel Falafel. If it left him on his deathbed with a message for his kids saying, Yes, this point annoying what the Falafel is. Always yes, this point annoying what the Falafel is. Viel war voll. Die Nacht war gut verlaufen. Viel ist er eingeschafft und er fragte, was sie verkaufen. Falafel, 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 ja, falafel, falafel, falafel. You've got to make an effort when you travel. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Everyone, all right? Wonderful. Um, so I came back from Germany. I had one final year. I was studying maths in Bristol and I was trying to work out if it would be possible to do poetry full time afterwards. I knew that it was something that I loved doing. I knew that whatever I ended up doing, I would still write poems on the side because it absolutely made me feel more alive. Um, but I thought if it was possible to dedicate all of my time into this thing that I love the most, that would be incredible. And there were two things that kind of helped me take that leap of faith. Uh, one was that some of my poems got shared on TED.com and seen by lots of people around, which helped build up momentum. And the other was I was asked if I wanted to make a book of my poems. And up until this point, I'd only ever written things to be performed. So the idea of putting them in a book was quite daunting. And also, I'd not really thought about exciting things like punctuation or how to spell a dinosaur noise. Um, <laughs> But my brother is a graphic designer, uh, and he kind of worked on it with me and kind of did some amazing illustrations and helped put the book together. Um, and I really, really love it. And for me also, it's kind of these things that had only existed in my head, suddenly they felt a lot more permanent. Um, and the book's called The Sunshine Kid. Uh, and the reason it's called The Sunshine Kid is it's named after this next poem, um, partly just because it's one of my favorite poems I've written, partly because I think it, it sums up why I'm able to do what I do. Uh, it's about a friend of mine in school, um, and it goes like this. I hope you like it. Old man Sunshine was proud of his son. And it brightened his day to see his little boy run. 
Not because of what he'd done or the problems overcome, but that despite that, his disposition remained a sunny one. It had not always been like this. There had been times when he tried to hide his brightness, you see. Every star hits periods of hardship. It takes a brighter light to inspire them through the darkness. And if we go back to when he was born in a nebula, we know that he never was thought of as regular because he had a flare about him. To say the Midas touch is wrong, but all he went near seemed to turn a little bronze. Just this son was loved by some more than others. It was a case of Joseph and his dream coat and his brothers because standing out from the crowd had its pros and its cons jealousy created enemies and those he outshone, such as the shadow people. Now the shadow people didn't like the sunshine kid because he showed up the dark things the shadow people did. And when he shone, he showed the places where the shadow people hid so the shadow people had an evil plan to get rid of him first up. They made fun of his sunspots. And shooting his dreams from the sky, their words were gunshots. Designed to remind him he wasn't very cool and didn't fit in with any popular kids at school. They said his head was up in space and they would bring him down to earth. Essentially, he came from nothing. That is what he was worth. He would never get to go to university to learn any degrees he'd ever show would be the first degree burns from those that came too close. Told him he was too bright. That's why no one ever looked him in the eyes. His judgment became clouded. So did the sky with evaporated tears. The sun started to cry because the sunshine kid was bright with a warm personality. And inside, he burnt savagely, hurt by the words and curses of the shadowy folk who spoke holes in his soul and left cavities. And as his heart hardened, his spark darkened. Every time they called him names, it cooled his flames. He thought they might like him if he kept his light dim, but they were busy turning lightning. She had terrible aim. And he could not quite get to grips with what they said. So he let his light be eclipsed by what they said. He fell into a lone star state like Texas, a fellow given punched in his solar plexus. But that's when little Miss Sunshine came along, singing her favorite song about how we're made to be strong and you don't have to be wrong to belong. Just be true to who you are we are all stars at heart and little miss sunshine was hot stuff the kind of girl when you looked at her you forgot stuff but for him there was no forgetting her the minute he saw her image burning his retina she was out of this world she accepted him Something about this girl meant he knew whenever she was next to him, things weren't as dark as they seemed. He dared to dream. Shadows were nowhere to be seen. When she was there, he beamed and his eyes would light up in ways that can't be faked. When she grinned, her raised, erased the razor tip words of hate they gave us other nicknames. They were Cool Star and Fun Sun, and gradually the shadowy damage became undone. She was one in a septillion, and she was brilliant. Could turn the coldest blooded reptilians familiar and loved by billions from Chileans to Brazilians and taught the sunshine kid the meaning of resilience. She said that all the darkness in the world could not put out the light from a single candle. So how the hell could they handle your light? Only you can choose to dim it and the sky is the limit. So silence the critics by burning. And if eyes are witness to the soul, then she drew back the curtains and let the sun shine through the hurting. So in a universe of adversity, these stars stuck together. And though days became nights, the memories would last forever. Whether the weatherman said it or not, it would be fine. Because if in the clouds, the kid could still shine. Yes, the sunshine kid was bright with a warm personality. And inside, he burnt savagely, fueled by the fire, inspired across galaxies by the girl who showed him belief. Thank you.
just on the note of punctuation, uh, this is a new one, uh, and it's about James Bond and how he introduces himself to people. The name is Bond, James Bond. There is no comma. <laughs> Bond is both my last and my first name. For some reason, when I introduce myself to people, they think I am repeating my surname. But if that were the case, then I would have to say, hi, the name's Bond. Bond James Bond. <laughs> I used to introduce myself to people as Bond Bond. Then they would mishear and repeat back to me, Bon Bon. And I would say, no thanks. I'm sweet enough. And they wouldn't get it. Then I'd have to explain that it's a bit like Neville Neville. Then I'd have to explain that that was Gary Neville's dad's name. Then I would have to explain who Gary Neville was. M said my best bet was go down to one name like Beyonce. She said it might cause less confusion. Go from two names down to one. I said, M, if you'd been through what I went through when I was young, you'd understand why I can't choose to ever lose another bond. A sort of a reference to his harrowing backstory. <laughs> it was then that I decided to start using my middle name. I thought I could try separate the two bonds with a James. But now I wish I'd paid attention in my A-level chemistry because it turns out separating bonds requires a lot of energy. <laughs> it seems like a natural fit to become a spy when you feel like you've not been seen your entire life. They say you're quintessentially British, James Bond. Sometimes I think the most British thing about me is feeling too awkward to correct people when they get my name wrong. <laughs> it reminds me of the time I ordered my first martini and whilst trying to make conversation, told them my friend Shay cannot stir. <laughs> cool. Um, i just got a couple more. Um, this next one, I came back, I was finishing uni, I was trying to work out if I could do it full time, and, and I was suddenly realised I was very grateful that even when I was trying to kind of balance these things out, I always felt really supported by both my friends and my family. And I know that's not always the case for everyone. Uh, so I kind of wrote this, this poem as a sort of thank you to the people who helped, who believed in me before I fully believed in myself. Um, and also everyone who kind of heard me perform in tiny little pubs around the country. Um, so thank you for also being a part of this, for being here, for listening. Um, this poem's called 22, because uh, I was 22 when I wrote it, and I thought if I called it 22, people might think it was the new Adele album. Uh, <laughs> turns out it is just the name of a Taylor Swift song, but that's also fine. Uh, so yeah, it goes like this. I've spent most of my life trying to fit in. Now I'm realizing maybe I was made to stand out. That's not a bad thing. We're all made different, bits of DNA different. From a young age, we're not encouraged to stay different. We're chucked in school uniforms or made to fill out uniforms and ways that play cater make donkeys from unicorns. They say, don't be too unique or no one will like you. Well, this, this is for the ugly ducklings or reluctant to be riotous. Only you are capable of knowing what you might do. Beauties in the context of those that it's applied to, in my view, swans sound like cack and pigeon speaking haikus. So for the second time in my life, I'm palindromic. The path I've chosen isn't renowned for having logic, but every day I wake up as believe I'm glad I'm on it. 11 years ago, I couldn't imagine college. So 11 years turns I think I have not acknowledged. I have no desire to be sat in an office that is as far as I got with a plan, if I'm honest, right now. I'm focusing on making the intangible solid. 
I fed my passion to the extent I get stamina from it. I'm 20 something. My friends are getting married or on it. I've just found someone who will hold my hand if I want it. I mean, we're living in a time where most banks are the robbers and we all lose interest at the hands of their profits, but your worth is not determined by the cash in your wallet. And if they tell you it is, then that is absolute nonsense for me. Success isn't having a lot of inanimate objects. It's Success ain't having a lot of inanimate objects. That's just a turd that you've happened to polish for me. Success is being happy, being you. So find a way of being you and being happy. Not the you you feel you need to be, the you you know you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are incredible. My dad taught me about the gift of not fitting in. So in a way, these things I say will embody a bit of him. It's two twos now. Knock, knock, who's there? More boo-hoos now. Less telly, less tubby, there is new news now. I've been to weddings of those I thought were too young to get married, and funerals of those I believe too young to die. Some things never change. Most seem to. The final show is not the same as the read-through. We try control X, Y, Z to cut, undo, and redo, but nobody can do we like we do. Scene two. I've hit the age that those that I looked up to well when I looked up to them, thinking that it's up to them. I guess it's up to us now. Some things have just about sussed out. I've still got enough doubts, yet somehow, somehow's a feeling less impossible. My mum taught me it might take a while for folk to see your hidden worth, so in a way, these things I say will embody a bit of her. I still adventure lots. I still enjoy getting lost. I still hope computer games the only way I'll ever get a boss to try and maintain a face more jelly tots than lemon drops to rather learn from my mistakes than be a clever clogs that's never lost still. Taking that time, just perfecting me and I have still got love for the streets. It's the D-R-E. A-M. To P-M. One in a Christina million. Yeah, I'll take broken, beautiful over pristine and brilliant like I'm 15 a kid again. Yet to see things for this chapel, look up, my Sistine ain't finished yet. My older bro and new assist took me committing to the bitter end. So in a way, these things I say will embody a bit of them. Well, I don't mind a masterpiece. I'd rather master peace of mind, at least till I've anesthetized that feeling of failure. I am no longer an awkward teenager. I can still be awkward, but I'm not a teenager. These days I know no matter how much natural talent I happen to have, I am too old to train to be a Jedi. And as the days pass across and head by, it's less and less likely I will get scouted to play for Chelsea. We'll see. Because this world is not perfectly round. There's enough corners for us all to find a niche to pour affections, a niche to pour reflections that help us see different, because things can be different if we believe in them. People who believe have been the reason for everything I do. So in a way, these things I say will embody a bit of you. Shout out my fam. Luke, Chris, Dave and Sam, John Birch, Grace Rowe and Andrew Stans. Because the future's unknown, AKA fun zone. I mean, I've done known, you done know I'm ready for the next step. Don't quite know what to expect, but those have been the best yet. So on your marks, get set. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Um, so we've got time for a couple more. This next one uh, came about, I don't know if you can tell, I quite enjoy puns. Uh, and I was once listening to Ed Sheeran's song, A-Team. And in it, there's a line that goes, it's too cold outside for angels to fly. And I thought that sounded a lot like, it's too cold outside for angel delight. 
so I've rewritten the whole song uh, and made it dessert-themed. Um, as a disclaimer, I'm not Ed Sheeran. I don't have uh, ginger hair or a guitar or the ability to sing in tune, but it is fun to pretend, and we've made it this far. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. This is A-Team, brackets, dessert version, close brackets. Dun 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 White lips, cream tarts. This is where our love starts. Baby cakes, sweetheart. Started out sickly sweet. You were my ickle treat. Good enough to eat. And they say she's looking kind of tasty, crumbling like pastry. Love covers me like icing while icing. Her face seems to infiltrate my sweet dreams. My heart melts like ice cream while ice cream. Every day's a Sunday for us. Gets a lot worse. Because we were just on a profiterole. I'll bring the spoon and you bring the bowl. I don't want to fudge this up tonight because I gave you my heart on a plate. You ate it up like some chocolate cake. Now it's too cold outside for my angel delight. It started out so sweet, now it's an eaten mess. Spread desserts backwards, you got me stressed. It can lead to heartache when it is a half-baked city parfait. Now it's hood to digest and I don't want to be a flake. But I think we need a break. You see, I'm a fruitcake and I give you toothache, it's too late. There's a bun in the oven. This relationship's gone stale. No loving. And they say she's looking kind of tasty. Feel free to sing along, it's a bit less awkward. Crumbling like pastry. Love covers me like icing while icing. Her face seems to infiltrate my sweet dreams. My heart melts like ice cream while ice cream. Every day's a Sunday for us, a recipe for disaster. A no amount of sugar could cast a spell to glaze over the cracks. Relationship got sticky like a flapjack. Meringue, but you never rang back. <laughs> that is my favorite line. <laughs> you took a slice out my heart like a pie chart. This Viennetta vendetta's tearing us apart. So yes, I scream and she ran out the cart door. <laughs> Why are you being such a tart for? You're taking the biscuit. We need to banana split. Now I'm a single cream, no longer whipped. I'm an apple turnover, new leaf. This got petty like Falou. <laughs> so you know what, Eclair? I'm going to desert you. So I'm putting you in your place. You'll get your just desserts. This is a trifling case for like it's justice hurts. I'm tiramisuing you to get custody. <laughs> it's Pavlova. You're muffin to me. <laughs> and they say she's looking kind of tasty. Crumbling like pastry. Love covers me like icing while icing. Her face seems to infiltrate my sweet dreams. My heart melts like ice cream while ice cream. Every day's a Sunday for us because we were just on a profiterole. 
I brought the spoon and you brought the bowl. I wish we hadn't fudged it up that night. Because I gave you my heart on a plate. You ate it up like some chocolate cake. <laughs> now it's too cold outside for my angel delight. Awesome. Um, thank you so much. This will be my last one, um, but I'll be through in the book signing area. If you just want to come and say hi, please, please do. That'll be lovely to meet some of you. Um, this final one, I really, I really genuinely loved kind of writing poetry through uni, through school, putting a book together, and now I do it full time. I think it's sort of hard to disentangle that with also just growing up as a human being. Uh, so I'm very grateful to have stages to perform on, people who are happy to listen. Um, and this last poem, uh, Recently, in the space of a week, two separate mums came up to me and told me that their child was being bullied at school. And did I have any advice for them? How did I deal with it when it happened to me? And my first thought was, a bit presumptuous. Uh, <laughs> but also accurate. Uh, <laughs> and and w one of these mums is, is in fact my aunt. And she was talking about my cousin uh, who was being picked on. And I remember kind of going through that. And it's a really difficult time because it's quite hard to kind of see past the end of it and you sort of end up blaming yourself. Um, and so I wrote this for my cousin, but also for a younger version of me and also for anyone who's either going through or has been bullied because uh, it kind of feels like everything. Um, so I'd like to finish on that. It's called Maybe. Um, and then after that, if you want to come and say hi, please do. That would be lovely. But otherwise, enjoy the rest of your festival and lives. Uh, you've been really, really nice. Uh, so this is called Maybe. Maybe it's because they don't understand you. Maybe it's because they do and they're afraid of what they see. Maybe it's because you are not normal. Maybe normal is not the thing you need to be. Maybe today feels like a good day. Maybe today feels like it's way too close to call. Maybe one day you will look back and laugh at this. Maybe one day we'll not look back at all. Maybe it feels like it's getting harder. Maybe you're still waiting for that day to come around. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner that I believe you can't stop building bridges just because one is falling down. Hey, I just met you and this is crazy. But maybe you're going to be the one that saves me. <laughs> After all, you are wonderful. Right now, this feels like everything. Right now, this always is. It's only afterwards that we can see there's more than this. You can be informed by this without being formed by this, just as a calm before the storm that is a dark before the dawn in this. Whoever told you you must shrink to fit in got their filter wrong. We are not sculptures to be chipped away, but platforms to be built upon, so if somehow this changes you, let it be in a resilience in knowing that you made it through. Do not give them an inkling of a thicker skin. If we stop listening, how can the truth that permeates start sinking in? Not every day's a battle. Not every part of life's a war. It is the times that lie between that need to be worth fighting for. So remember what this moment is. You may not have chosen this, but one day you will be someone who rose from this. When you see the same in others, you can notice this, so show them this. There's no eclipse without some kind of glow in it. Those that know you 
know to love you. Those that love you, love to know you. Those that don't forfeit the right to get to be the ones that mold you. And if you ever meet the old you, say, I come from what you go through. There will be times when that is all you have to hold to. There will be times you cannot help but cry and times you cry for help. There will be times where you resist or are too tired to rebel when it takes everything to not just be defined by someone else. You can start by showing kindness to yourself. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry Baker! Come see us in the book tent. Thank you very much. Cheers. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.